Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where the mission is to help young men develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. So on today's episode, we have on another special guest. His name is Stephen Lawrence, and he is the director of The One Pointed Mind. Thank you for coming to the show, Stephen. Thanks, Kamani. It's a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. And so just to give the listeners a little bit more information about you, could you tell them a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, right now, um, I'm, as you mentioned, the director of the One Pointed Mind workshops and OPM, acronym for the One Pointed Mind, OPM is essentially a program where we've developed training, a training system for teachers in, in the implemented uh, the implementation of meditative psychology and in, into their life and into their classroom to target uh, specific neural centers and emotional centers within the brain, uh, the biology of the body. Uh, certain elements of cognition within the mind itself and essentially break down a a new approach and a new way of looking at the role of the teacher in the classroom. Okay, so it all sounds pretty interesting. And one question I like to follow up with is, what was it about, uh, I guess, what was it about your experience or maybe some of the things that you had seen that led to you seeing what you do as a need in the market and going to fill that need? Well, when I started to teach, uh, it's been about, I I taught for 12 years. So I was 31 at that point. And I had already had a career as a contractor. I had already been into meditation myself. And when I, right when I started to teach, I had realized quite quickly, actually, honestly, so quickly, it had to have been within the first day. I had noticed that the children's inability to focus was going to likely be the greatest barrier that I had as a teacher. And what I what I had learned as a as a meditator over many years was that meditation essentially is the ability to focus for a sustained period of time on a particular thing. So it would often look like, uh, you know, a breathing practice or uh, mental exercises, mental movements, uh, body awareness, breath awareness, mantra awareness. And what, what, what we know about meditators is their prefrontal lobe develops differently than those who don't meditate. Their amygdala hippocampus functions differently than those who aren't meditators. So what that means is if, if you're looking at the prefrontal lobe, essentially the, the, if you put your, your hand over your forehead, that's that area of the brain right in the front part. That's a, that's a uniquely human process within the structures of the, of the prefrontal lobe and the, and, the, and the functionality of the prefrontal lobe. That area is responsible for higher order thinking, amongst other things, uh, critical thinking, reason, but also attention. And if a seasoned meditator is developing moral neural networks and thicker and more dense gray matter in the, in the frontal lobe, what that suggests and essentially what ends up happening then is that the functions of the prefrontal lobe are enhanced. So seasoned meditators are better at meditating because they're better at meditating. If what, if you're understanding what meditation is, it's the, it's the primary, it's a one pointed focus of consciousness for a sustained period of time. It gets easier to do over time. It it is, it gets easier to do over time, I'd say, but it's not as if it, the diff, like you don't run into difficulties with meditation. Like you, you still have a mind, you still have an ego, you still have you know, the processes, the stresses and the anxieties. And, and but what you notice more and more is where the challenge of being able to get into the one pointed focus or a meditative state 
those challenges exist, but you get to learn to navigate them a little bit more skillfully and they may have less of an impact on you. So I can see where the name comes from then with the one point in mind. And it's interesting how you say that this is something you noticed when you were teaching those kids like 12 years ago, because it makes me think that it must be an even bigger issue now, because I know back in like, was it 2010, whenever you probably started teaching 2009, maybe uh, social media, smartphones, all that, it really wasn't as big of a deal as it is today. I don't even think, I don't even think Twitter existed yet back then. No, but uh, Facebook now, was just around. Yeah, I think Facebook had just like came on the scene. But uh, it's interesting to think about how it's probably even more magnified now when it comes to the kids' lack of ability to focus just because they have all that constant stimuli that you get from your phone and being rewarded for only uh, being able to pay attention to something for five seconds. And so it just shows that the service that you offer, the stuff that you talk about, is even more important today. Would you say so? I would. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the, the ideas, yes, yes. Uh, and the, the ideas of meditative philosophies has been, it's, it's, these are ancient techniques. These are not, um, these aren't, these aren't things that we, that, that kind of came up even within the last 20 or 30 years. These, and when I say ancient, we're talking 5,000 years. These are old. So longer, further, because um, that's essentially around 5,000 years is when we start to get some of the Vedic scriptures uh, being written down. But we most historians know, uh, many know, that the what was written was told verbally for who knows how long, right? So they were verbally shared stories and techniques. Uh, what's interesting about the, the modern day is that these techniques are, are, are less and less being hoarded by a select few. So you can think back in history, you know, historically, the priests, the shamans, the, um, the, the bodhisattvas within, within Buddhism, the higher priests, uh, they would have been, uh, they, they would have held on to these techniques in, uh, for the purpose of sharing with them with their disciples in closed settings, uh, because it takes years to develop certain techniques and practices, but they were holding on to it. The modern day, you know, it's you can you get the apps everywhere. There's no shortage of of this of this knowledge and information. The question is, is the implementation of it and the delivery of it. I find a, a lot of difference in in how these ideas are shared with different people. You, one person can say one thing and it doesn't resonate. The person next to them says the exact same thing, but it just happens to resonate with you. So while there's a lot out there, the I don't say the market really because that's not really what I mean by it, but it kind of is. Uh, it's 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 open for so many different people, you know, uh, to, to to resonate in different ways. There's there's more than one barber in the neighborhood, right? More more than one barber shop. But to your point about the children and the modern day, one of the for a number of years, I was given these workshops for teachers uh, in in schools and traveling abroad internationally and in international teaching festivals and um, and what I had noticed that. It always resonated with teachers as we would discuss these ideas. Always, it was it was such a, an incredible um, feedback, you know. And I I got a um, a master's degree in technology integration into education, and then I started to do some graduate instruction teaching uh, through this um, track. And not long after I had gotten my master's, did I create. A, a, a standalone presentation called striking the balance. And it's a, it was, there were workshops that I was sharing with telling teachers and educators in general to, to sort of pump the brakes on technology integration into education, 
Because what science is now showing is that there are different neural development centers within the brains of, of novel internet users. Young children's amygdala, hippocampus, frontal lobes, and other areas, they're, they're developing differently in, in some very, very important ways. One way is that the way that the hippocampus and the frontal lobe are processing information, it is called the Google effect, where we the, the brain is processing the information in such a way that we understand better where to get the information rather than holding on to the information. And it's a different way of using information, right? Uh, novel internet users, when it comes to reading, are not surprisingly find it much more difficult to sit in a sustained way to read a book. And the inability, not, say that the difficulty in reading a book is translated over a number of different areas of our life, being able to drive the car without the radio, being able to lay in bed and fall asleep without the television, being able to even just hang out into the evening without a lot of racket and noise going on around us because we're, we're we find ourselves stuck in thinking. And as we get engaged in thinking, then we become um, stressed. That's where the anxieties live. That's where fear lives. That's where anger lives and thinking and mind. And what meditation practices do and what meditative psychology does particularly is to examine what is what are the processes of thinking and to sort of hold thought and mind out in front of us as something that's tangible, that not that something it's not it's not us per se. Yes, our personalities are wrapped up in thinking, our personality is wrapped up in mind, right? But there's a deeper space, there's a deeper existence, there's a deeper state, there's the state of feeling. So there's the feeling mind, if you will, and then there's the thinking mind. Thinking is the world of the voice in the head and all the noise, the structures, um, the story, I like to say, it's the story that we live in the head, right? But if you're in a still meditative state, or even a state, we can call it a meditative state, but it doesn't have to be somebody sitting in a yogic posture. Um, a one-pointed state was what I had to call it, because when I was teaching in the Middle East, there was difficulty around the word meditation, because I was teaching in uh, some pretty strict Muslim schools. And they, 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 with all due respect, they didn't want any hint. They, they, the word meditation has connotations, just as the word God has connotations. So right. meditation, that word with the, the connotations of Buddhism or Hinduism or yoga, the Muslims, they say, we have our prayer. We have our, you know, we, we do this prayer five times a day. We have our own belief systems. We don't need a white guy coming in and starting to teach our kids about meditation and Hinduism and Buddhism. Now they weren't interested. So what I had to do was use the language it's really just a one-pointed focus. And that actually opens it up to a wider understanding of what a meditative state is. And you can get it, like I was just doing the dishes before I came in the podcast. That's a meditative state. Mm -hmm. Being just with the dishes, just focusing on it, right? Right. So it's a consideration. Okay. So that's, that's a lot. <laughs> I definitely yeah. um, pulled a lot of info from what you were just talking about. And there was one question that I had uh, that popped up from something you said earlier about how... I guess living in like, I think you mentioned that, what was the term? Like being Google minded or something like that. I think it's what you, uh, the, the Google, Google effect. effect. Yeah. Google and you effect, talked about yes. how that affects not only just how we um, process information, but it could be things like reading other types of things too. And so one question that I had is how do you think that affects our, um, our interactions with other people? 
Mm. Conversationalists is a skill. Be, I mean, being a conversationalist is a skill. Absolutely. And that's, yeah, <laughs> right, right. And you, and, 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 you know, as you're doing your podcast, I'm sure you have different levels of conversations with different people. Uh, you know, I myself going on different podcasts, you listen to them, like, you know, how is it coming across? Am I, am I getting too tangential? Am I listening to them enough? Um, but when you're really present with somebody, if you can imagine the first time, like when you pick up a newborn baby, the newborn baby gets your attention, man. You become very focused, hyper vigilant, very present. And what I mean by present is what is essentially this, this, this state of presence where you're not in thinking projecting to the future or you're not in thinking projecting to the past. Often like a daydream state is, is, a, is a good way to think about it when you go into the daydream. Like a flow state? Kind um, of? You, well, flow is a result of presence. Uh. It's a byproduct, if you will. Okay. Mindfulness is a byproduct of the meditative mind because you're in a state of being, and then you become aware of the thinking from that place, from that centeredness, the flow, creativity, and genius comes from someplace. I'm a, I like to write music, right? And you've been in this, these other, these other situations where you're in a really, really good conversation and it's just, yes, it's flowing, but it's flowing because you're present. You're still, and okay, you're one hundred difference. In what you're you saying. see what I'm saying, and you're one hundred percent with it. And when you start to get into the cloudy world of what we consider day daydreaming is like the heavy side, right? Like that 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 dude is completely drinking his coffee, not even. You know, that's heavy in thinking. That's heavy mind. Okay, but we still have there's 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 it's like a barometer. There's levels of being in that state of consciousness, if you will. And when you're having conversation with somebody and then you just kind of glaze over, it gets foggy. Your vision becomes unclear. That's thinking. And then when you come back to presence, bang, you're focused again. You're here. Roller coasters are great for that. You know, sports is great for that. That's why we love sports. That's like, like I'm a Bills fan. Long weekend. Oh, man. <laughs> but, <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you're with your friends and you're watching the game, that's complete engagement. That's complete presence. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the anxiety comes because I'm afraid that they might lose. I'm thinking about something about the future. That's where the anxiety comes. But the excitement's in the present moment. Right. So through the process of, of working through meditative psychology and one pointed develop, the, the development, and, and there's a, we should talk about a number of ways that you can develop a one pointed focus, not just sitting in meditation, but the, the, the byproduct of that, of that practice is not only the development of the, of the awareness of presence, but the key neurological centers, brain centers that are responsible for our states of emotion. For, that are responsible for our states of consciousness. So one follow-up question. When you, if it'd be great if you could go back to that part that you mentioned about being present as opposed to, uh, how do I put it? It'd be great if you could clear that up where you mentioned the difference between just being present and seeing what's, what's going on as opposed to like that awareness portion or something like that. Because the thing is, what I would think is that if you're having that awareness, if you're reflecting on the stuff right then and there, what you might be feeling or what might be going on, that's not feel like it might be getting into what you talked about before, where you're 
maybe looking at the past, what just happened. And so could you further elaborate on that part to give some more context to help us where I guess I could get a better understanding? I think this is a good opportunity for us to go through a little uh, a practice. Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, because intellectually, conversationally, we can, we, can, we can grapple with it conceptually and try to get a, a, a good understanding of it. But it, it's the, a common analogy is like telling someone what a strawberry tastes like when you've never tasted a strawberry or they've never tasted a strawberry, but you need to explain what a strawberry tastes like. Give them a strawberry and let them take a bite. Okay. Okay. So uh, we're going to do one of my favorite, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite meditations is it's, it's the, the 5, 10, 15. Ultimately, it's a one minute meditation, but I'll introduce you to the concept here for a second. So uh, you're, we're going to bring our attention to our breathing. So what I want you to do now and everyone in the audience is just become aware, move your attention to breath and just the fact that breathing is happening. Okay. Now I want you to take a nice five second inhalation. Nice and smooth the whole way. Three, four, five. Get an extra 10% at the very top. Get a little peek up and then out for five, four, three, two, one. All right, cool. That's it. We'll stop there for just a second. You can open your eyes. So within that 10 seconds, there's, you may have noticed a shift in where you're sitting in the state of what was going on in the process of breathing. You're gonna notice very likely when we go through this exercise, we're gonna do a five second inhalation, five second exhalation, 10 seconds in, 10 seconds out, 15 in, 15 out. What we're gonna do is expand the lungs. You're gonna bring your awareness to the body, to the face, to the hands. I'm gonna guide you through the whole process. I'll do the count. You just focus on having a nice, smooth, full inhalation, a nice smooth exhalation. I don't want you to breathe in really, really quick for the first six seconds and then have nothing for the 10. You're focusing on the duration of it. What's likely going to occur is in that process, you're going to notice I can't really focus on the breathing because you're thinking. You, the thoughts are going to come into the mind, uh, perhaps a number of thoughts, but one of them could be uh, what is, uh, am, am I going to make it to the five seconds in five seconds? Am I going to make it to the 15 seconds? You're going to start to get up and then the mind's going to start the little, it's going to jitter. It's going to start to panic a little bit because it's an uncomfortable feeling. It's not normal typically, right? We just have these short little shallow breaths, but we're going to draw them out. And as you start to move the awareness into the body with the increase in oxygen in the body and in the blood, the, the body becomes more tangible. If you will, at the body, you, you, you feel it more. The awareness is going to shift down. When you shift down, then we can have the conversation about what do you mean by thinking, getting caught up in thought, because you're going to see that the thinking is happening, but there's a, also a breathing that's happening. And there's, so let's play with that a little bit and let's, let's talk about your experience. No expectations here. That's the key. When we go into any sort of meditative state, no expectations. Whatever happens, it's perfect. No problem. Okay. Right. Uh, so, so, so Kamani, when, when we're going through this, just, just like wave your hand. If you're like, I can't get to the 10 seconds. Okay. And that's, and that's, then that's completely cool. Cause we can still explore that. All right. Okay. So typically what I do is I just find myself a, a nice comfortable state, right? Um, you can do this anywhere. You can be laying down, you could be sitting, but if you're going to be sitting, we don't want to sit like a soldier necessarily, but it is nice to get the head, neck and trunk straight. 
Okay. So we're not slunched over. We notice the diaphragm. We notice the belly. We want to just, just pick ourselves up just a bit, just a bit. All right. Mm -hmm. So you keep the eyes open. You can keep the eyes closed, but just simply don't overthink it. Don't get caught up in it. Just nice, smooth inhalation. Breathe in. Four, five, no rush out for five, four, three, two, one. Nice and steady in for 10. You have complete power, complete control. Bring your awareness to your face. Muscles around the eyes relax, the cheeks, the chest. Seven, eight, nice and full. Get an extra 10% at the top and then exhale nice and smooth for 10. No rush. Come under the thinking into the chest, into the belly, into the legs. The voice is going to chatter in the head. What does this mean? Eight, nine, ten. And for 15, nice and smooth. Three, four, five, six. Keep going. Awareness to the face, cheeks, nose. Notice the nose, the air going in, the chest. Moving the awareness keeps the awareness out of the head. 13, 14, 15, and gently out. Gently. Complete control. The shoulders relax, lips relax, ears and scalp down the back. Keep going. Belly relax, chest relax. 13, 14, 15. And then let the body breathe. Keep the eyes closed. And just let the body take whatever breath it needs. Stay in the centered state. Stay in the chest. And just notice. Lungs moving. Eyes, cheeks, head. It's feeling. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. And try to hold that place in the center of the chest when the eyes open. There's still a space there to hold. There's the thinking world, which in the breathing process, you become aware of it. It doesn't stop. It doesn't shut off ever, right? So in a meditative state, what we're doing is we're coming underneath it, if you will. Some people feel like they come behind it. Some people say they go out of it or they whatever, whatever word or language, allow yourself to envision it. Uh, yourself what, what what did it feel like to you it's always um, interesting because everyone has a different experience well at the beginning it was really just me listening to what you're saying the main focus is just trying to make sure I was keeping up with your count and then once it got like to the later portions where we did 10 seconds 15 seconds the main thing was trying to draw out the breath as long as possible to actually hit the time so that was the main thing I was focusing on. But as far as like sensation, I would say that I became much more aware of the little small feelings and sensations that were going on during the process, like the coolness in the back of my throat when I was breathing in the air, uh, when you talked about breathing out and me kind of feeling it or you describing it going from like my chest to my legs and that sort of thing, I started to mainly focus on the present moment, what I was feeling during that process, as opposed to thinking about the podcast or the interview or something outside of the current experience. That's right. So that's what we would consider presence. That's a psychological state. It's a state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. 
And in that state of consciousness, there's a different, there's, we, it's, it's, uh, it's measurable. You know, there's different, different levels of different brain analysis, different ways of measuring brain movement, cat, the different scans, cat scans and MRIs, fMRIs, EKGs. There's all sorts of, that's, that's, that's the heart, right? EKGs. Uh, but there's, there's all these, there's, there's so many different ones and each one's going to show something different. So the fMRI magnetic resonance imagery the the f is the functioning so that's when you're in it's actually watching what's going on inside the brain and in a meditative state the frontal lobe slows down amygdala slows down hippocampus slows down brain stem areas can activate the brain in a meditative state is actually going to shift in some areas to a theta vibration theta wavelength so it's actually frequency that we're dealing with within the brain a scattered brain a stressed brain a brain that's under trauma. If you're looking at people with PTSD that go into a relapse of those of that of that trauma, watching their brain, the brain is happy. There's something going on inside the brain as well. But what's interesting is that that brain functioning is going to be triggered by thinking. Often, it's a thought. It's not the reality of what's actually happening. So if we put ourselves in a state of thinking about the most embarrassing moment of our entire life, and you sit there and you dwell on that for five minutes, your brain functioning is going to change. And what's going to happen is the sympathetic system is going to ramp up. Sure, I'll stress you out. Right? That's right. And you're going to experience that stress. We've all been there. When we think about, like, I remember as a kid, I had homework to do and I never did my homework. So I always had this anxiety on the way to school, I didn't do my homework. That's a thought about the future, about the fact that I might get in trouble. Then I can get into the story of guilt. Steven didn't do this or whatever it may be. Then the, then the play happens Then the story kicks in. And physiologically, we're going to respond to it accordingly. And what happens is the, the adrenaline, the cortisol, and, and a lot of these stress drugs, uh, the, the stress hormones, they get bottled up into the body and it, particularly into the belly and into the guts and the solar plexus. And those areas is often where we feel it. It also can get caught up in those areas. And then those areas lock up and that prevents the lungs from being able to expand openly. And then we can feel anxiety and, and whatnot coming into the, into the chest itself. Right. Right. It's simply a thought. So if I were to say to you, uh, there's another really cool visualization where, where you can, you can put yourself through the, 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 the feeling of eating a lemon, taking the lemon, cutting the lemon in half, putting the lemon in your mouth and squeezing the lemon in your, in your mouth and biting it and chewing onto that lemon. Now, if you were to envision that what often happens is people, their mouth will water, there's no lemon. But what happens is when we have these, these, these low levels, these subtle levels, subtle thoughts of anxieties and stress and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, where it applies to education and really everyday life. But when it, where I was finding the, the, the challenge with, with the students, if the brain's areas responsible for stress, response, fight, flight, et cetera, if those brain centers are caught up in the stress and the anxiety, those brain centers are the same centers responsible for learning, memory, encoding, recalling information, focus, creativity. You can't, you can't, op, you can't operate optimally. There was an interesting study they did with uh, farmers in India 
I wish I could cite the study, but I'm not going to remember it. But what they did was they gave them sort of a, like a critical thinking examination, not like an IQ test, but more like a critical thinking examination uh, at the at the harvest before and after. And they had found that they performed much better after the harvest because they weren't under the stress and the anxiety of whether or not the harvest was going to come through. <laughs> when they had their crop, when they were settled, the brain operated differently and they were able to be more effective in the completion of that creative test, that creative assessment. So the conclusion is a stressed brain is not an, op op is not an optimally functioning brain. Okay. Uh, now there's, there's, there's interesting things, if I may real quick, there's interesting things that, that are important about like how we perceive stress in our relationship that we have with stress. There's a, is interesting work that's coming out where, you know, if we, if we see stress in a particular light, um, not like, not like trauma stress, but just like I'm busy, let's say, or there's a lot going on today. Right. And I feel like I'm stressed and I have a negative attitude towards stress. It's going to impact my heart differently than if I see that stress as an opportunity to complete my dreams, to fulfill a task that leads me one step closer to my goals, right? You could resent your work, you resent the stress, and it's going to break your brain and your heart down, your, your heart muscles literally are going to weaken because of that perception of the same experience. Oh, wow. So with the meditative practices, and what we're trying to do is you separate from the mind through these practices regularly, and then you develop a different relationship with it, you see it happen. And like that cool pond that has no movement, you take a little pebble and you toss it on, you'll see it. But if it's very windy, and you throw that pebble, you won't see it land on the water, because there's too much happening. Same analogy. So it's crazy to think that uh, with the meditation, uh, focused stuff that you're talking about, it doesn't just affect the, uh, the cognitive stuff, but it affects the emotional regulation, like what you mentioned before, like where um, always being the type that's forward thinking, thinking of the, I guess, the impending doom or whatever that's coming up, how that can have effects on you. But then you also mentioned that it has a literal physical effect on you too, where it sounds like it even shortened your lifespan, uh, just based on it weakening your heart muscles and causing other sorts of issues in your body. So it seems like the benefits that come from having that one point in mind from doing the meditation, uh, don't just mess with the mental side. It, it helps your whole health. I guess it's a holistic type of thing. It's absolutely holistic. Yeah. I mean, it really, at the end of the day, it's brass tacks, you know, and what's important too, to understand, I think is that has mentioned before, you know, the, the mind doesn't necessarily stop. It's just that you come out of it. And it can slow down. Like when you're really anxious, it's the, the mind's pumping. It's, it's the thinking is happening. You know, there's a distinction between the mind and the brain in this conversation. Some people argue that the mind and the brain are essentially one and the same. I'm, I'm speaking of the mind essentially as a, as a, a process. It could be a noun. It could be a verb. Um, in this way, it's actually a bit, think of it a bit more of like a verb. And, it, hmm. and, it, and it, I mean, it could be a thing too, but it's a process. It's something that's active. It's happening. Um, but yeah. And, and you know, when, when, what's interesting is, is when you're, when you have the opportunity to work with children and I had it so many times where the kids would come in once they started to learn some of these practices and I'd guide them through them. It was not uncommon for them to ask. Mr. Lawrence, before we start, can we just do a little meditation? You know, and I'm not taking, you know, if you got a 55 minute class, I'm not, I'm not taking, you know, a quarter of the class to do a, a meditation. 
we don't have the time in teaching. There's too far too much to do, right? Unfortunately, right. we don't take the time to slow down. So um, awesome little visualizations of just watching the breath go out, watching the breath come back in and just feeling the breath go in and out. And then I would ask them to, I think about, or to envision or picture a feeling or an emotion that you don't want to have anymore, that you're feeling maybe, that you don't want this feeling. What color is it? That breath is going out. You're breathing out that color. Breathe out light, breathe out smoke. Breathe, however you see it go out, that light goes out. What do you want to feel? Feel that come in and settle in the chest. So now it's going out, say green, it's coming in purple. Going out green, coming in purple. 30 seconds is super powerful. It's incredible how powerful it is. And and it's just, it's such a beautiful feeling, honestly, to being, you know, you're with 25 children, um, any age, you know, I've gone from seniors to I taught as low as sixth grade. I've done the workshops for elementary schools. My wife does elementary and they would ask her the same. They love it, man. It's just a stop because they're so damn busy. They wake up in the morning, they're pumping all the, you know, they're, they're in school and they got this and they got kids and social media and, and reputations and anxieties of, of family and it, countless things count just like an adult hey eh? it's it, kids are it, particularly high school kids of today at least in the schools that i had taught there's a lot of pressure you know high, all high performing schools they're all stressed out they don't know what ends up and there's no shortage of um stimuli to create stress for everybody but particularly kids, you know, they, they, uh, there's an interesting, another interesting study they did on a, on a, a company that reduced the, um, the health insurance policy options for their employees. And they also gave their employees the ability to control the lighting, the color and the intensity of the lighting at their cubicles. And you want to see the happiness index of that company go significantly higher. First of all, with the insurance policies, they didn't have the burden of trying to go through six different ones and figure out what the hell. Just tell me what I need to like, give me. Give me one. You, you guys like fine. We got it. I can move on. It's very stressful. And you got to think about it way too much. Right. And then having the feeling of having control over their environment just to be able to dim the color of their light at their cubicle was remarkable, remarkable. In, in you know, obviously productivity went up because they're happier. They enjoy their space more. Um so the kids are, they're bombarded with so many options, universities everywhere, all these different things. They just don't know what to do. And it's burdensome. It's, things, you know, it's anxious. You know, we have so many social cultural revolutions that are happening right now that breaks down a sense of understanding of what, what you know, what end is up? What is, what is going on? What is right? What is wrong? What's reasonable? What's not reasonable? Who knows? Next month, it's different. You know, it's not easy for the development of a young child trying to develop a personality and understand the relationship that they have with their environment and the relationship with other people. And if that's being developed on social media, which to a large extent today it is being developed on social media, that's not a normal conversation. That's not an eye to eye feeling a person, not literally, but you know, you have a feeling with a person when you're in their presence, you know, and you develop your personality in that state and those places, playground stuff. So when it comes to personality development for kids or maybe even for adults, and I still be working on themselves besides Amen. doing the actual medicate meditation, what would you say are some other things that we could do to influence our environment, to make it to where, uh, I guess the stimuli and maybe the influences that we have that are working on us are 
the most healthy, the most productive. Mm. Well, there's um, yeah, there's there's it's, uh, that's a lot to unpack, and I'm gonna I, I you know or that's like related point. to this type of thing. I would say sure, sure. See, like there's there's the feeling first of all of. And, and, and it resonates with me, what you're saying. I feel you like I, constantly trying to develop myself. I, I think I'm maybe I was thinking about the other day, maybe a little too high in conscientiousness. Like sometimes mm -hmm. I can just overdo overthinking about my relationship with other people. Am I doing this? I, you know, it, it, so order, really liking order and structure, you know, so that's an area for myself. I'm trying to be I, I can notice it in thinking. I see that movement and then I can giggle at it almost laugh at it. Oh, that's just that part of the mind that's processing and operating in that way. That's been like that for many, many years. So what I'm trying to do is consciously, and we can all do this. You consciously become aware of the fact that that thought is occurring in real time. You cannot do it if you're in thought incessantly, because then you're, you're a zombie thought response thought response you're in it and you're simply happening when you're under through the process of developing that you know that still state the present state i can see those th those thoughts that are happening and i can choose to act or not to act and when i choose the, the different attention this goes for addicts this goes for responses and you know um men very often and, and, and women can do this as well but but anxiety and stress in men often responds as anger and angst right it's, it's irritability. So you can notice that that's actually happening and you can remove yourself from it. Not only remove yourself from the other people that you might impact, your family and people around you and you're snapping at people and you're wrecking their evening because you can't hold, you know. So you can, you can first remove yourself from it by going to a centered state and then you can implement a practice to slow down a little bit. And then when you redirect the thought to a new process, you're literally re rewiring the neural processes and the neural centers within the brain. So it's an interdynamic relationship. So when we're moving and shifting from one thought to the other, brain structures are changing, but we're also rewiring the process of the mind. And the, the energy will now begin to divert to that as your default in time, rather than the one that's currently happening. So to get to the point of, what we can do in our environment. Anytime we can develop a, 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 a one-pointed focus, do it. Okay. So what that means is while I'm um, watching television, I'm not on my phone the best okay. you can. So I think that's okay. a really good tip. Okay. So now you may be on watching television you get a text message and you're like, okay, I can go to my phone quick and just get that over with right? But you can notice how often that's happening. So what's occurring within the brain and within the mind is it's, it's going back and forth in nanoseconds to the television and then to the phone. Nanoseconds. It's, it, you, the, they often say, you know, the mind, the brain, you, you cannot multitask. You can only do one thing at one time. So when you can reduce that bouncing around, that brings you into a, a, a one-pointed focus. Like I said, I did tonight, I did the dishes. Um, just doing the best you can to be with the dishes. Don't resent the dishes. Just do the dishes, feel the soap, feel the warm water, feel the dirt, the grime, you're getting it off, right? Uh, driving the car, do the best you can. Try this and drive the car with no radio, no podcasts, not listening to anything. That's a tough one for a lot of people because that's where you zone out. Um, 
having conversations with people, put the phones away. When you wake up in the morning, don't go to your phone right away. Be up for 15, 20 minutes. Put it to the side. You don't need to get into it right away, man. Like we can, we can wake up. The world's not going anywhere. You know, f- funny years ago, I was reading a book. Um, it was the leadership principles based on Gandhi and philosophy, Gandhi. And Gandhi back in 1920 was complaining about how fast communication needed to be. They wrote letters to each other. So he was already in 1920 complaining that we don't take enough time in our response to others. We don't sit with a thought. We don't sit with a response, right? So he, he, his complaint was, I got a letter and I got to write a letter right away and I got to mail it out because it's going to take two weeks to get there, right? And that's interesting to think about how fast we feel we need to respond. Obviously, I think, you know, silencing your phone as much as possible. Um, notifications, shut the social media notifications down and put that on your terms, right? All these little, those, those little things are what actually take us from the present moment and bring us into that state of, I got to go into thinking mode, anxiety mode, or whatever it, it may end up being. Um, cleaning your desktop is, a, is another a really, really great practice. I find a lot of people, this is recommendations for a lot of students, I would look at their desktop and it's just like, I get an, <laughs> I get an anxiety attack because I'm seeing like, the organization of files and folders and like things start to come into structure, you know, organize your space, organize your home. Where is it? Is it, is there a balance to it? Right. Where there's an order in a sense and as within, so without, they say as within, so without. So as you start to develop a, a different relationship with that inner world, that space, the stillness, go to that as often as possible. And then your words and your actions and your thoughts will, will, will reflect that. Okay, so just to recap, what I gathered from what you said is that pretty much the phone causes a lot of issues. But uh, once we can regulate our phone time, another tip that you gave was to make sure that whenever you do things, do one thing at a time. That can be something that also helps. And I think the third that I picked up on was making sure that you're organized. So doing those three things, you would say, are the main things we could do to uh, boost that mindfulness, that one point in mind, and to overall just be able to be more present and aware in our current environment. And you talked about it helps with the emotional regulation, with uh, communication and with our focus, right? That's right. And different people have different, um, different inclinations, different, different dispositions, right? So, you know, when you throw those out there, when you say like, you know, be more organized, you know, take a step towards being a more organized for you. Um, however that may look, you know, some people are already hyper-organized. Um, some people that's a more, it's a more difficult challenge, but what you're doing is you're setting your, you're becoming conscious of your space. And when you become conscious of your space, you start to look around and you start to see, and you start to notice when you're looking and you're noticing that's presence, that's your space, put that into an orderly, into an orderly way. Um, and, and then when you start to work in that, through those different meditation practices, which if we, if we could go through a couple of ways that that might look different meditation practices, um, you could take a walk and they call it Japa, J-A-P-A. You take a, a meditation walk, you find a mantra. Okay. So mantras are phrases, they're terms that you, that you could use. There's ancient ones that, that they, they say, hold a resonance, hold a harmonic and has been be- being said for many, many years. Um, Om Mani Padme Hum is a very popular Buddhist. If not, it's, it's like the go-to Buddhist one, right? And that works. Om Mani Padme Hum. You hear that coming from the center of the chest, not the head. 
you feel Om Mani Padmi Hum, and you hear it from the chest. You feel it in the chest, and you walk. You just take a 20-minute walk. Om Mani Padmi Hum. It's happening inside. It's resonating. And then you can slow it down. Slow it down. Om Mani Space Padmi Space Hum. And that's all while you're walking. Space. Like you, just, you say that's it out why loud. you're walking. Nope. You feel it in the center of it. You can say it out loud if you'd like, but you hear it in the center of the chest. It comes from that space. And then you're sitting now in the center. They say the seat of the soul, right? The cave of the heart. That's where you're sitting. And then you're walking. And the experience in the meditative state is now that you're bringing yourself into that state. You're pulling attention and awareness. Awareness itself, if you want to consider that a noun, awareness comes in. You put that into the chest and it's a brain shifts it's interdynamic you move it the brain's going to shift biology shifts and then you begin to feel it more and then it shifts the brain more and then you feel it more and then so on and so forth right, right. um similarly going through a number of stressful events within a day it's going to ramp it up more and more and more so Take your take a five minute mantra walk if that's what you can have. Now the the mantra could be anything that you want it to be. That's an affirmation or something that that you're that you're looking to do, right? Not money, right? It's, it's not your mantra isn't money. Your mantra is stillness, peace, calm. These are words, the words themselves, right? Chill, breathe, whatever. Breathe, breathe the word, breathe, and then you'll actually hear it inside, and then you become aware of the breathing. And then you just walk. And then when you're in that state, you notice the trees. You notice the birds. You're looking at things. And when you're looking at things, try to see a bird without using the word bird. To define bird conceptually, just observe it. The mind is going to call it red. The mind is going to call it a bird or a tree or whatever it may be. Notice that that happens. And then just come under it and observe without labels, without movement of thinking, without the voice, without the story about what it is that you're looking at. That's the that's the that's what they call the eternal state. There's no mind, there's no thinking that's actually hijacking the experience. It's utter presence. The more you do it, the more the 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 easier it is to get into those states. Um, so, so quick question. So mm. there are two different states you can be in whenever you're meditating is what you're saying. The other one is one is the present state where you say that you're aware of everything that's going on. But then the other one is this uh, the second one that you mentioned. Could you say that term one more time? I'm not sure. You said the eternal more like a uh, it, was, it was like a well, the, like the eternal witness. It's, it was, it's pure consciousness, pure consciousness, eternal witness. Okay. okay. It wasn't the exact word it that I had. Yeah. yeah it, it wasn't the exact, it's the, the eternal state, but the eternal witness where this is where the conversation then takes the rabbit hole leap into, um, into um, very esoteric uh, philosophical realms. The idea ultimately is that consciousness itself is an eternal state. It's, it's, it, that's, it's like, the expression of the soul becomes a like consciousness is a byproduct of that, if you will. So it is pure in stillness and in pure consciousness. There's no angst. There's no anxiety. There's no stress. There's no fear. 
There's no anger. It's utter stillness, utter contentment. There's no problem because the problem doesn't exist anywhere but in the thinking. Or maybe if I could clarify like where I was coming mm. from with, with the comment sure. I made, it seemed like when we were doing the meditation, we were talking about some of the earlier stuff. You talked about, let's say, maybe watching the Bills game or something mm. like that. Being present mm -hmm. from what I gathered is looking at that in the moment and saying, okay, he's dropping back. He just passed the ball. He caught the ball, right? But then this uh, eternal state that, that you um, that you talked about, it seems like it's a step above that to where you aren't even looking at the stuff to comprehend what's happening or what's going on or to be able to like notice or like feel anything. It seems like you're just existing. That's right. That's right. It's pure existence. It's pure existence. Now the easy, it's easy to do with the bills game because you're in, in that you're in a party, you're hanging with your friends. Like you're focused on that. I'm not thinking about work. And if the, if the work thought comes in, I can see it. I don't need to be thinking about that business right now. That's, that's malarkey. I'm focusing on my friends. I'm focusing on what we're doing. You know, give me another carrot stick with some dip and let, let, let's focus and let that's presence. That's easy to do. The difficulty is when you're alone and you start to get away from those things that take your attention, right? right. The distractions, friends weren't my distraction, but, it, but in a sense, it is. It's, it's pulling my the, the attention going to that's easy. The difficulty is being able to be in. A, here's the thing that will become more enjoyable as a byproduct of my Joppa walk. It'll become more authentic. Mm -hmm. I am there, right? I'm in it deeper. I'm the, in, in a more authentic way, in a more eternal way. Um, but but yes, when you're in the the deep state of meditations, the the peak experiences, it's just it's just space. It's just a a, a zone of experience. That's nothingness essentially. You still see the mind chattering there. The mind chatters, right? And then you can go into those places. And then on the way back out again, you, you step-by-step -step process. Let me come again, aware of my body, aware of my breath. Now there's the thoughts. Let me close. Let me open my eyes and let me hold on to this space in the center of the chest, which I could do with my eyes closed. But when I open my eyes now, now the thinking is now I'm back into the head again, into the thinking with my eyes open. Let me come back down into the chest, into the stillness. Let me feel my chest and my belly and my face and my arms and my legs and et cetera, et cetera. And then now let me get up. Now let me go greet my wife. Now let me tell her good morning when I'm in this place, not the anxiety of the dreams and the stress and in, 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 in the head. So ultimately getting, you know, getting back to, to OPM, what we're, what I'm doing in the program, the first three weeks is to develop for the teachers a way that they can develop and integrate these practices into their life. We look at the neural processing. We 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 get down to the, the the conceptualizations of what's going on in them and within the children, and understanding and appreciate why these practices are important on a fundamental, basic, basic scientific level. Then we just start to develop our uh, the curriculum. You know, we start they, they look at their own curriculum. How do you develop a one pointed curriculum? So for the teachers, it's looking at the environment of the classroom. What is, how is it structured? You know, when you're giving the kids activities to do, is it one activity to the next activity to the next activity, and there's just a chaotic storm and that it could be looking productive but really it's just okay kids stop for just a second let me interrupt you and let, let's do this okay now get back to work and man it, it, you do that for a kid for eight, eight you know eight hours for you know it matters a lot so finding these little opportunities for them to instruct the children in, in a, in a one-pointed way let's everything stop 
Everything stop. Okay, here we go. In for three. Out for three. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Moving on. I'm not building this big thing up. It's You know what I mean? But, but understanding the power of that simple little practice transforms the learning experience and transforms the brains of the kids when they're, and that goes to, you know, giving presentations to how you greet the kids, how they exit the classroom. There's so many little fundamental things, you know, um, and each teacher has the opportunity to, when you take the course, you, you go through, uh, you can, you, we, we tailor it to you specifically. So if you're looking at how does this impact depression, how does this impact anxiety, autism spectrum, uh, PTSD, leadership, there's a whole host racism. There's a really, really, some really, really interesting studies on, on, the, on the impact that it has on uh, race relations between people, but it's deeper relationships. There's more of a resonance at a more profound level, you know? Um, yeah, it, it just, it, it, it goes on and on. It's a, it's an endless conversation. It's super interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I can tell just from what you've talked about that there's so much more to this. And so for the people that would like to learn more, uh, where could they go to find you? Well, we got a, a YouTube channel, The One Pointed Mind, and uh, we're working on it. You know, we're a bit of a startup. I just retired from the classroom six months ago. And, you know, while I've been giving these workshops for the past 12 years, um, the program's up and running. Um, so you can go to the onepointedmind.net. That's where the, the, the course itself is. Um, but, you know, but, you know, we're, we're building content. And, um, yeah, it's just it's, it's an incredible opportunity. You know, Instagram, we're on Instagram, YouTube. Yeah, that those sorts of things. I'm not like if I be honest, man. I'm having a hard time getting to the social media piece of it, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm more of like the creation of the, you know, of the of the program, and uh, we're actually doing a, a corporate program for for a, a company in Eastern Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania. Apologize, and uh, that'll open up a, an opportunity to start working with some companies and whatnot. But yeah, go to the site, check it out, onepointedmind.net, and uh, you know, poke around, see what they like, and then info at at the one. Uh, Info at onepointeded.net is the, is, you know, our contact and, you know, yeah. LinkedIn, sorry. LinkedIn is another one. <laughs> All right. Well, great. Well, Steven, I appreciate you coming on to the show and offering value. I feel like the guys have a lot they can pull from this when it comes to the importance of meditation and how it can help them. And hopefully before they tune in for the next episode that I post in the upcoming week, they'll do a, They'll do their uh their five, 10, 15, or, or whatever you called it right before us today. Yeah, yeah. Focus and get ready. Make sure to get the most from the content. But yeah, hey, five, 10, 15, man. It's great. Super powerful. Regularly. Do it two, three times a day. Get in the car before you leave for the, you know, you get in your car, you're gonna drive to work. Do the five, 10, 15. Before you get out of the car when you come home, do the five, 10, 15. Before you eat your lunch. Do the it's a one minute. It's one minute. We got one minute. It's it's utterly transformative, and it introduces you to meditation in a very very interesting way, and then you can build on the practice as you move forward. All right then. Well, hey, thank you for coming on to the show, Stephen. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, you too, Kamani. It's a pleasure. Thank you, brother.